Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, vaccine timeline, more good news about the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine, but a lot of questions remain about how vaccines will be rolled out in Canada as the COVID surge continues. The New Democrats try to force the government's hand with their own bill to introduce a universal pharmacare plan for all Canadians. MPs divided on the issue will be here to debate what's best for Canada. And cyber threats and COVID-19, a new report on how the pandemic has made Canadians more vulnerable and where the threats are coming from. And we'll begin tonight with the ongoing COVID-19 response in Canada. Here are some more sobering numbers to consider tonight. 1,417 new cases and 32 more deaths in the province of Ontario. 1,179 new cases and 35 more deaths in Quebec. Manitoba, 399 new cases. A big jump from yesterday and 11 new deaths. And provinces with a surge in cases are seeing their hospital beds fill up fast. There is more good news on the vaccine front today, with Pfizer announcing its vaccine candidate has proven 95% effective at the completion of human trials with no serious safety concerns. And that success rate also applies to people 65 and older who received the vaccine. Pfizer is set to apply in a matter of days for emergency use of that vaccine from U.S. regulators. The company says it will produce as many as 50 million doses before the end of this year and another 1.3 billion doses by the end of next year. Canada has already advanced purchased some 20 million doses of the vaccine, but it's not clear when this country will actually receive the doses and how those doses will be distributed. In question period today, the Prime Minister was pressed about Canada's vaccine plan. Experts are raising alarms about this government's plan to distribute a COVID vaccine. We don't have the freezer capacity. We've signed deals that mean other nations, like the United States, will receive millions of doses before a single Canadian does. When can Canadians expect to see a real plan for COVID vaccine distribution from this government? Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, Canadians know that the best way to get through this COVID crisis is by vaccines. And that's why we've been working since the summer on signing deals with a record number of companies around the world to ensure that wherever or however someone uh, gets the right vaccine, it will be available in Canada. We're actually positioned better than just about any other country in the world in terms of access to a robust portfolio of of vaccines because we took the leadership as a government and got it done. We are also ensuring that we're going to be able to distribute those vaccines as they become available across Canada and Canadians can count on us. Dr. Isaac Bogotch is an infectious disease specialist. He joins me now. Uh, Dr. Bogotch, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Uh, We learned today that the Pfizer vaccine proving 95% effective now and particularly so for older people most at risk. How important is that news on the vaccine front? Uh, It's tremendous. So they finished their trial. They basically enrolled a uh, 43,000 people. They had uh, about 170 events. The vast majority of those events, uh, meaning the case of COVID-19, were in people with uh, who had the placebo, not the vaccine. Shows that the vaccine looks like it provides pretty significant protection against the virus. Uh, looks like people that even people that got the vaccine. It looks like in the study there were 10 cases of severe infection 
Nine of those were in the placebo group. Only one of those was in the vaccine group. There's a lot to be excited about. Also, they talk about pretty mild uh, or nothing too severe in terms of the uh, side effects that they've reported in the study. This is still science by press release. We need to see the full data, but there is certainly uh, room for optimism here. I, I guess the big question for Canadians is how quickly we get this vaccine or another one for use in Canada. How long would you expect that to take now? Well, it's interesting because we've heard actually from Dr. Anthony Fauci that they may have vaccine programs rolling out in the United States in the 2020 calendar year, which is outstanding. Uh, Canada, I think we have to be more realistic and think about the first quarter of 2021. Uh, we certainly have access to this vaccine. This is the Pfizer one. We also have access to the Moderna vaccine. It's not entirely clear when we'll get the vaccine. I mean, there's still a little bit that needs to be done on this front. We also have to have this go through Health Canada and have Health Canada give it the green light uh, after looking at all the data. And, and quite frankly, we have to figure out the logistics behind administering this vaccine across the country. We know the federal government's taking pretty quick steps to figure that out right now. Right. I want to drill down a bit on that with you, but it's, I mean, you touched on it. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it, that, that Pfizer is actually providing its vaccine trial information uh, to other countries such as Canada and, and actually providing what, what's called this rolling submission to, to regulators in different countries in real time. How does that change the, the whole regulatory process and, in fact, the ability to speed up that process here in Canada? Yeah, it's, it's a really smart move. You know, typically a study will be finished and then the uh, people running the study will send everything to you know, the FDA or, or Health Canada. And then they take the time to uh, pour over the data, look at the side effects, look at the benefits and, and make a decision at the end of the day. But with this rolling approval process, basically a lot of these companies are just passing over their data to these uh, regulatory bodies as they get it. So the regulatory bodies can look at it in real time. And by the time the study is complete, they've, they're already up to date. They don't have to start from scratch. They hit the ground running. So it just shortens the time from the completion of a trial to hopefully the approval of a safe and effective vaccine to roll out in the community. The other interesting thing, too, is that, you know, we've in Canada have been looking at ways to deploy vaccines long before a vaccine has become available. This has been months and months ago, but Canada purchased 37 million vials to you know, administer a vaccine that doesn't exist. We're looking at how we can ship uh, very, very cold and frozen vaccines across the country uh, in, in preparation for this. So a lot of work is being done so that the time window between when we have approval and when we get access to the vaccine and finally administer the vaccine is as short as possible. Well, lots of questions being asked about the rolling this vaccine in, whether you've touched on it, whether enough preparation has been done. Are, are you satisfied with what you've heard about how uh, once, this, once we do get this vaccine in Canada, who's going to get it first, how it's going to be uh, shipped to the provinces? Uh, you mentioned it's, you know, that's 75, minus 75, this, this particular vaccine needs to be stored at. Um, are you satisfied enough planning has gone in so if the federal government's ready to, to hit the ground running when this happens? It's hard to know. It really is hard to know. And we hear snippets of information from the federal government saying that they're looking into this and that they're enrolling private industry to help. And we've heard the Army might be involved. But I, we, I don't actually know what the details are. And certainly the logistical hurdles are, are, are meaningful. Like, they're real logistical hurdles. We really need to overcome them. It is going to be challenging. But, like, I sort of take a step back and think, like, the big challenge is to develop a vaccine for an infection that we never know existed a year ago, not, you know, how to keep that vaccine cold and ship it around the, the country. We can do this. We, we certainly can do it. It's going to take some preparation, some money, some planning. 
uh, some resources, but I think we can do this. All right. Well, very quickly, the uh, we know what's happening with this vaccine in trials and the 95% success rate. What questions do you still have about what that actually means or what could be different about applying this to a general uh, a general community in a country such as Canada when it is rolled out? Oh, lots of questions still remain. And I think some of them will be answered by the trial and some of them we're just going to need time. One of them is, you know, how long is immunity going to last? How will this actually work? Like, how effective is this going to be in real world settings? I don't imagine it's going to be 95%. It might, but like, even if it's close to that, it'd be amazing. But how effective will this be in real world settings? What is the safety profile when we roll this out to potentially millions and millions of people, not just 43,000 people in a trial? Lots of questions to be asked. All right, Dr. Isaac Bogacock, it's always uh, great to hear from you. Thanks for your time today. Have a great day. Well, as the country looks hopefully to the arrival of a COVID-19 vaccine, there are lots of questions over how many doses will be delivered to the provinces and how that will be decided. Confusion because the federal government hasn't revealed those plans yet. But some provinces are suggesting they know when the vaccine is coming, how much they're going to receive, and who's going to get it. Listen to the Ontario Health Minister, Christine Elliott, earlier today. The doses for Canada, we expect to receive 4 million doses between January and March of the Pfizer vaccine, 2 million for Moderna, of which we anticipate that we will receive 1,600,000 of Pfizer and 800,000 of Moderna. People do have to be received two, vo- two doses 21 days apart. This is a major logistical challenge, but we have an entire group within the Ministry of Health right now that are planning for that. So we're going to follow up on the vaccine questions with MPs in a moment. We'll also talk about the push by New Democrats today to prod the federal government into moving ahead on pharmacare. The New Democrats have introduced a private member's bill to create a universal pharmacare plan. Liberals have promised a plan but have yet to make it happen. The Conservatives in the Bloc Québécois, they oppose a national plan because it would intrude in uh, provincial jurisdiction. So what's the NDP after with this bill? And so this is a time for us to mobilize people and we're calling all, all Canadians, call your MPs, let them know that you want to see universal pharmacare. It would save your family so much money. It would help people out. It would lift people up. It would give dignity to people who can't afford medication. We're asking, we're, we're going to be asking over the next couple of months, people to call their MPs, let the Liberal government know that it's not enough to talk about this. We want to see concrete action. Well, let's follow up on Pharmacare and the federal government's COVID-19 response with three members of Parliament. Darren Fisher is an Nova Scotia MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Health. Uh, John Barlow is an Alberta Conservative MP and member of the Commons Health Committee. And Don Davies is a British Columbia MP and the health critic for the NDP. Good to see you all. Mr. Fisher, let me start with you all. We'll get to Pharmacare and the debate around that in a moment. But first, let's talk a little bit about the federal government's vaccine plans and the COVID-19 response. And let me start with you. How come we're hearing today from the health minister in Ontario, Christine Elliott, announcing how many doses of the vaccine Canada is going to receive in January and how many Ontario is going to receive, but we aren't hearing any of these numbers or a rollout plan from the federal government on this? How come? Well, thanks, Peter, for the question. And hi to John and hi to Don. Um, you know, we, we have done the work. We've uh, negotiated numerous contracts with many potential candidates um, manufacturers and developers. The rollout will be, you know, something that is done based on some of the things that we hear from the NACI, the, the National, um, what's the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. Right. They will, they've provided some advanced guidance 
But of course, the guidance will will determine how the rollout goes. Right, but are, are we'll they giving see... that guidance to Christine Elliott in Ontario? She seems to have the numbers, and 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 she's already talking about how many doses Ontario is going to get. And some provinces are hearing these numbers and wondering, wait a minute, uh, how's this being decided, and what's going to come to my province, including yours in Nova Scotia? Well, from day one, Peter, we've uh, dealt with the provinces and the territories as equal partners, and we've worked with them very, very well. And that's not going to change, um, you know, as far as a rollout goes. We're going to make sure that those who need it, those who are prioritized, first get it. Um, there's still a lot of questions. I'm very optimistic about a vaccine coming up in the near future. But do, do you I'm know how many optimistic. doses Canada is getting in January? I do not know how many doses Canada is getting. Christine Elliott says it's four, four million. Uh, again, we've got contracts with various uh, manufacturers and developers of, of various vaccines, and we don't know which vaccine is going to enter the market first. What we'll make sure that we do is that we ensure that Canadians have a vaccine that is safe and efficient and okay. effective for them. All right, Mr. Barlow, what answers do you want from the federal government when it comes to how and when the vaccine will be distributed, how much Canada is going to get, and what the provinces are going to get, including your own province of Alberta? Well, you touched on it uh, in your question to to my colleague is, you know, is it four million? Is it six? We've heard six. We've heard 20. Uh, and to get this information from a provincial uh, health minister and not from uh, the prime minister or uh, from the, the liberal government, I find it, compl uh, you know, completely uh, disconcerting that and even to Mr. Fisher, not knowing um, he, he himself, the, the parliamentary secretary to the minister, doesn't know how many doses they're getting, but apparently an Ontario health minister knows. Um, so who's telling the truth here and why is there um, no transparency to us as parliamentarians on what exactly is going on? So I think what we need to see is we need to see a clear strategy on how the vaccines have been accessed, how many doses are going to be, how they're going to be distributed. And I know my colleagues and I have, have met with many stakeholders across the country and, and pharmacists, for example, haven't been consulted. They, they don't know how many doses they're going to get or how it's going to be distributed. The messaging and the communications on this right from the beginning has been so inconsistent and so untransparent that I think that is where all this confusion okay. is coming and this frustration from Canadians. Mr. Davies, what's your view on how the government is handling uh, the information around vaccine and when and which Canadians will get it? Well, I asked that very question, same question period, uh, Peter, that you asked to the Prime Minister. I asked, why is it that an Ontario health minister is telling the media that she's receiving 6 million uh, doses of vaccine in between January and March, 4 million from Pfizer, 2 million from Moderna? She even knew how many were allocated for Ontario and the rest of the country. But the Prime Minister and, and Canada's health minister aren't telling Canadians. You know, all I keep hearing from the Liberal government is they just keep telling us how transparent they are. Instead of telling us they're transparent, I'd like them to be transparent. And so far, they've been anything but. They refuse to release any of the details or contracts um, with the drug manufacturers. And other countries are doing that. Brazil just released almost the entire contract they had with AstraZeneca. And uh, this allows the prime minister just to come and tell Canadians that he's negotiated the best agreement in the world, he says, but he won't actually give us the details so that we can judge for ourselves. Okay. And and one thing I would just want to say is um, he keeps saying how many uh, doses he's negotiated, but, but what we're hearing is that those contracts are for up to a certain number of million doses. And we also don't know when we're going to get them. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of questions around other countries. Lots of questions about where, Mr. Fisher, let me have you jump in. Lots of questions about where, talk, we talk about doses Canada's uh, 
pre-purchased or, or pre-negotiated, but it's not clear where we are in the queue of, of that distribution system. So can you speak to that? I mean, how, how, how you know, where's Canada in terms of the, the pecking order or the distribution order of who gets what when? I would say, Peter, that we are either the most prepared country or one of the most prepared countries in the world for uh, receiving future vaccines when the trials are finished, when vaccines are, are ready to seek Health Canada approval. We will have the backs of Canadians to ensure that they are safe. Do you know where we are in the order of which countries get the vaccine first? We might be ready to receive it, but when? Well, again, I mean, there isn't a, a vaccine that has been approved yet in the world. We're in the process. We're very optimistic. We're seeing really good information come forward. And we're seeing from companies coming forward that we have excellent deals with. So, you know, there's there's a lot of questions still in when exactly we are optimistic. You know, you hear people say okay. a few months. You hear people say early in the new year. But it, it's it's important, Peter, that we don't give uh, you know, false information here. We know that things are looking optimistic, but it's very important to make sure that we, you know, make sure we measure that optimism. Okay. Uh, what did you hear in that, Mr. Barlow, that puts your concerns at ease? Well, uh, my concerns haven't been put at ease with that answer. In fact, they've been heightened. Uh, the fact that how can he say that we're amongst the most prepared countries in the world when the number of doses they can't answer? Or we could be we could be 4 million, we could be 20. We don't know that. We even have rapid tests that have been developed here in Canada that have been improved by other countries. Canadian companies using rapid test technology developed here in Canada and other countries that they can't even get approved here in our own in our own backyard. So for the parliamentary secretary to say that we're the most prepared country in the world, but he can't answer any of these questions, I find to be a little very misleading. You can't possibly the mo okay. be the most um, prepared if you don't know any of these answers that we're trying to get. Okay, let's see how prepared we are in PharmaCare. Uh, Mr. Davies, let me move to you on that. Your uh, party introduced a private member's bill today to introduce a national PharmaCare plan, a universal single-payer plan. Uh, what's, what's really behind this? Is this to, to, to prod the Liberals into following through on their pledge to create a universal plan? Or is there room to work here? Or are you just trying to see if you can prod them into moving uh, based on this bill? Well, it's a historic day in Canada, as far as I'm concerned. We introduced Bill C-213, the, the uh, Canada's uh, Pharmacare Act. And uh, really what we've done is we've uh, done the work and acted uh, to produce the legislative framework to provide universal public pharmacare, which the Liberals have continually said they support but don't actually do anything about. Um, so much like in the mid-1960s, the NDP had to basically prod the uh, the federal Liberal government in a minority into providing Medicare. We're doing the same thing now. Right, but, but it's uh, a private member. It's a private members' bill, and it and it it gets it'll be debated over the next three months or so before it has to come to a vote in principle sometime probably in February. Uh, so there's time to debate this, and um, I mean there's no guarantee we we wouldn't have an election before that. So how sure of a thing is this uh, in terms of trying to push policy forward for Canadians? Geez, well, I've been in federal politics long enough to know there's no sure thing. Um, <laughs> but look, it's a it's a private member's bill, but it's it's legislation, and it's sure. coming up for debate and a vote. Okay. And the government is free to support it. I hope they do support it because it's exactly what they claim to support, and it's modeled on the Canada Health Act. You know, this will we can cover every single Canadian's pharmaceutical needs and save four billion dollars right, a let year. Let me let me hear from Mr. What's F not to like, Mr. Fisher? What's not to like? Here's your chance to. You've talked. You've, your party's talked about a promise of universal single payer health care. Here's your chance. 
Or sorry, Pharmacare, yeah. here's your chance. I'm a, a huge supporter of National Pharmacare, Universal National Pharmacare. And, uh, you know, I don't see us uh, imposing our will on the provinces. We have worked really hard during COVID-19 to build relationships with the provinces and territories. And I think we need to continue to build on that when we work with our partners, our equal partners, to come up with a great plan right. for national, universal national pharmacare. I think we're going to get there, but sometimes I think, in all due respect to the NDP, they think it's as easy as ordering a chocolate shake at McDonald's. It's not. We can't impose this on our partners. We must work with them. We must see what their sides of the story are. This is something that okay. we Canadians deserve for us to get this right. Mr. Barlow, let me hear you on this. The part, part of this bill, the NDP bill, see, I think it's 213, would, uh, would uh, withhold money from provinces who don't meet standards set by the federal government for a national pharmacare plan. If, uh, so they, they wouldn't, in other words, be given money to do their own thing. If it's not the federal plan, uh, they're, they're penalized. They don't get the cash. So is this a non-starter for Conservatives? I think our, our focus has to be on the fact that, that every Canadian should have access to prescription drugs. No Canadian should be going without their medications. But we also know that um, at present, only 2% of Canadians don't have access uh, to prescription, prescription drug coverage. So our focus should be on having a program that ensures that 2% gets access to the prescription medications that they need, while still with... Uh, still protecting that those programs that are in place that uh, ensures right. that 98% of Canadians get good, solid medic medical coverage. And I think that right. is where well, our focus needs to be. We'll have to leave it there. going to be lots of time to debate this and return to the conversation. But uh, thank you all for your time tonight, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks guys. For having me. Thank you. Good to see everybody. A new report today from the Federal Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity underlines the growing vulnerability of Canadian businesses, governments and individuals because of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's because more of the daily activities of Canadians have moved online during COVID-19. The report warns the number of cyber threat actors is on the rise and they're getting better at stealing money, personal information and intellectual property. And for the first time, China and Russia have been singled out by name as the greatest strategic threats to Canada. Scott Jones is the head of the Cyber Centre and he is with me now. Mr. Jones, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Thanks for having me. Listen, how has COVID-19 changed the risk and vulnerabilities for Canadians and the opportunities for the cyber criminals? Well, I think there's really three aspects. Number one, we're all working remotely, uh, or most of uh, many of us are working remotely. So it's causing a um, fact is we're outside of the organization's IT security perimeters, um, and that means that we're seeing uh, more opportunities for the cybercrime actors. But secondly, COVID-19 has been an effective lure. So uh, our our state of anxiety, uh, our nervousness, makes us more susceptible to clicking to saying that, to, to clicking on that link, to doing the malicious action that the cyber criminal is looking, looking for us to do. Um, and thirdly, it is an attractive target. And so earlier this summer, we mentioned, uh, we talked about Canadian vaccine researchers being targeted. Right. The fact is, this is of interest. And so really all of those things are coming together to make COVID-19 um, something that is absolutely impacting the cybersecurity world. So in practical terms, what, what should Canadians be cautious about as some of these cyber criminals try to prey on, as you talked about, prey on some of those worries about COVID-19? Well, I think first of all is search out factual sources of information, go to the root of trust. So if that's your pub local public health agency, for example, rather than what's being tweeted, what's being sent to you, what's being sent over text messaging. 
I think the second real aspect is we've, we've made tools available that Canadians can use to protect themselves. Uh, so we partnered with the Canadian Internet Registration Authority called CIRA um, to implement something called Canadian Shield. Uh, they, that every Canadian, it's a free service that Canadians can use that will protect them. Um, and we feed them all of the threat information we're generating from our protection of the government of Canada. And that's, a, that's something that we think is really important and it will have a material impact and help protect Canadians from cybercrime. And third is the, the, the National Cyber Threat Assessment really does say some of the aspects to look for. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. If there's threatening language, we've all gotten those phone calls saying it's the legal department from a certain government agency. That's simply not how Canadians talk to each mm -hmm. other and not how government interacts with citizens. Uh, so we should be looking for that. You're, you're uh, but then furthermore, we've also taken action. We've been working to make sure that we take any um, site, we've been working with partners to take any fraudulent activity offline that, that looks like it's impersonating, for example, the government of Canada. So false sites impersonating the Canadian Public Health Agency, etc. And there's over 4,000 of those that we've done since the beginning of COVID-19. Okay. And you, so, sorry, let me tell you, your, your report also speaks to the, uh, the strategic threat from China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. And I think for the first time you've named names uh, of the state-sponsored actors. Why have you decided this is the time to name those countries? Well, we actually have named uh, previously through things that we, attribution statements. Um, in a lot of cases, we've joined our allies, as we've talked about so earlier this summer. We talked about Russia targeting our COVID-19 research with our UK and our US allies. Um, previously, though, we have called out China, for example, in the National Research Council, where Canada stood um, because it was our organizations being targeted. I think one of the things that we're, we're saying is we're, we're putting this in because they are the threats. They're the threats that we've mentioned publicly before. And we're putting them in the report and saying these are the strategic threats. But they're not the only threats. And they're also not the threat that most Canadians are going to face. Okay. Uh, that is cyber. Fair enough. Your report also warns that the state-sponsored actors are likely developing cyber capabilities to disrupt Canadian infrastructure. Uh, what are they targeting? And uh, why has infrastructure become more vulnerable? Well, we noted, uh, we noted in the report that absence international hostilities, it was very unlikely that... Um, uh, that any sort of activity would be targeting Canadian critical infrastructure, but that doesn't mean that they're not preparing. So we see them looking for things like uh, reconnaissance, finding out where the vulnerabilities are and why they're more vulnerable is because technology is converging. Typically, critical infrastructure worked independently of the internet. It was on a separate network. It was managed independently and isolated. But because of the complexity that we're facing in, say, in the cybersecurity world and in the IT world, these are being brought together. It's in the report we call it the convergence of operational technology and internet technology. That's right, and give me a, and, give me a sense. You talk about some some of this uh, these activities being converted uh, to uh, to uh, digital platforms and so on. So, what specifically might you know might be under threat here? What what would foreign countries be uh, looking at trying to disrupt, and why? So we've seen um, there are there are some examples in the report where we talk about things like. Um, uh, the Ukrainian power grid was targeted um, during during um, for this type of disruptive activity uh, because of the situation they found themselves in. So what what we're seeing is as this operational technology is brought online, you can use it to shut down, a, turn o open a circuit breaker, to stop electricity from flowing if if you took it to an extreme. Um, you can see that it would it could turn open dams. Um, or shut down dams or very various different pieces as these things are being brought online. And so what we're saying is let's prepare now. Mm. This is this is not to scare people and this is not to say it's going to happen tomorrow. It's now's the time for us to get ready. Now's the time to prepare and make sure that we won't 
um, be victim to this in the future. What is happening with commercial espionage during the pandemic in particular? Are, are Canadian companies, uh, governments, institutions being targeted uh, by some of these state-sponsored actors? Uh, we certainly see uh, a certain amount of targeting from state actors. We talked about the pandemic um, and the vaccine research earlier. Um, but that's one of those things where we always have to be careful of what is our crown, what are our crown jewels, what are the things that make us special as an organization, or where we have unique information. And we always tell organizations the first thing to do is think about what you need to protect. Uh, for some organization, that is who your customers are and what you're doing. Others, it is intellectual property, something that makes you unique in the world, that gives you a unique marketing advantage. Um, and for others, it will be that private information that they hold on all of us. But knowing what that is, knows what you, then you know what you have to protect. All right. So um, you touched on a little bit earlier. So w w what is the biggest threat that it, an, an individual Canadian faces and what do you do about it? Without a doubt, it's cybercrime. Uh, that's something that is targeting every single one of us every day, uh, whether it's those fraudulent phone calls we get, but most often it's those emails uh, that are hoping to get us to click on something, something where we're seeing ourselves being impersonated, uh, reusing things like our passwords. And so this is something where simple actions can make a huge difference. So doing a quick update, making sure that your systems are up to date, applying those software updates when they come in, for example, using something like a Canadian Shield lets you uh, take action and protect yourself uh, and it means even if you click it's not going to have those catastrophic impacts and so a few simple actions can make a world of difference when we're looking at cybercrime all right and that goes for businesses and individuals all right scott jones from the canadian center for Cybersecurity. uh thanks for your perspective tonight good to talk to you we'll talk again thank you so much that's all the time we have for another edition of primetime politics here on cpac from all of us here at cpac thanks for watching take care and we'll see you next time